You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Uh, so this is the second uh, installment of a, class, of a of a series, The Cost of Living Differently as a Christian Family. It was interesting. So with Faith and Family, um, we'll ask people, what do you want classes on? Like, what would be helpful? And this was the most asked for topic, uh, as we can tell by attendance today. Um, that, uh, yeah, basically living kind of counterculturally as a Christian family, um, what that looks like, uh, what the cost of that is, so and so forth. And so... Um, Here's, uh, I'll, let me, let me pray for us and then, then we'll circle the bases. All right. Jesus, thanks for loving us. Thanks for dying for our sins. And, um, Father, I pray that you would teach us. Pray that, uh, anything that I think or have to say, uh, would not be heard, but only the words, um, words of truth that come from scripture and the words that are consistent with, uh, your character and your gospel. So we trust you with that. I ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, um, so. Uh, the premise behind this class uh, is, is this. Um, if you as a Christian, as a Christian parent, as a Christian individual, if your children as believers, if they decide to follow Jesus faithfully, if you decide to follow Jesus faithfully, individually or corporately, like you're going to be resisted. Like There is going to be cost in that. And certainly this looks very different you know, in talking to uh, an audience in Birmingham, Alabama, the most Christianized city in the United States, as compared uh, to an audience in Iran. Um, one of my good friends is a uh, uh, he works for a ministry called Ilam, which supports the church in Iran. This may uh, surprise you, but the fastest growing uh, segment of Christianity in the world is Iran. Uh, about 30 years ago, there were less than a thousand known Christians uh, in the whole country of Iran. Uh, and today there are at least 500,000 known believers in Iran. Uh, and they, um, it's growing so fast that like they cannot manufacture Bibles fast enough in, um, in Farsi to, to, uh, to supply the demand. And so, uh, that one thing that's very interesting that my friend, because my friend's interacting on a daily basis with pastors and Christians in Iran, um, he said one of the things that they, as they think about the American church, they lament that we do not, we don't get the opportunity to be persecuted for following Jesus in the way that they do. They, they, they say that they feel like that's a privilege that they receive because they find that uh, in following Jesus uh, and being persecuted for it, and we're not, we're not talking persecution like, you know, you lose a friend or two. We're talking like you lose your family you get put in jail, you lose your career, you are, you are beaten violently. Um, they, they experience the richness of Christ in a way that's more profound than, um, than they've ever experienced in their life in the midst of persecution. And so the life, the abundant life that's promised in Christ, uh, they say they find it most richly when they're being persecuted, when they're in prison, so on and so forth. And so, um, so with that being said, uh, you know the resistance we're talking about, the consequence, the cost of following Jesus is not. It, it's it's different here than it would be if you're a new Christian in Afghanistan or Iran, but it's still definitely present. And so I just want to start off with a couple of stories um, about what that may look like, what we kind of see it look like. You know, in our uh, in, my, in in our experiences, like youth pastors who work with family and children, 
Um, but uh, with the premise that the, the primary thing I want to communicate um, is, first off, like if you're going to follow Jesus faithfully, there will be cost and consequence. I think that's something we have to communicate to our kids. I feel like we, like youth ministry, church, we've done a poor job of doing that because we find our kids are surprised when there's consequence in following Jesus. But uh, the joy, the hope, the peace that comes with clinging to Christ in the midst of cost is greater than the cost. It's far greater than the cost. Um, and so anyhow, so the, where I'm going with this is uh, I'm going to talk about, I'm gonna, I, what I want to do here is to explain biblically, looking at Old Testament, looking at Jesus, looking at Paul, um, looking at why it is. Like, why is it that it's a natural consequence? And then have some, uh, so that you can, you can communicate that to your kids. Um, and then give you some tools, uh, give you some tools on, uh, you know, how to talk to your kids about this. So, a um, couple stories to begin with. First, uh, parent. Uh, they, they felt like they were concerned about uh, their kid's consumption of Netflix. Um, their kid, they, found, they felt like their kid was just kind of numbing themselves by, looking, by watching Netflix like two or three hours a day. And, uh, and they decided, they, they prayed about it and thought, uh, I think the thing we need, probably need to do is we need to take Netflix away from said child. And, uh, and so they said, hey, you're done on Netflix. You know, like you can have a couple hours on the weekend. Um, but we prayed about this, and we think that, you know, like, in terms of us leading you as parents, uh, us being faithful to Christ, the thing we need to do is limit your Netflix, okay? Child, literally, good kid, by the way, really good kid, literally did not speak to their parents for three weeks. <laughs> Didn't speak to their parents for three weeks, okay? All right, so parents trying to be faithful, right? There is a cost, there is resistance, it happened to come from their own child. Um, <laughs> But um, but uh, the child ultimately, you know, admitted not to the parents, but to the youth pastor, uh, that they knew their parents were doing the right thing, and they knew their parents needed to do that. But of course, they weren't going to admit that to the parent. Um, but anyhow, so you can see there was a cost there for the parents and and following their convictions. Um, I can remember myself in high school. Uh, kind of a funny story. It really wasn't funny at the time, but uh, but so you had all season workouts, right? And uh, in baseball. And in off-season workouts, you know, the coach at that time, at least, wasn't really allowed to be super involved. They kind of had to say, here's the workout. Now you guys go do it voluntarily. Wink, wink, right? Um, kind of like those voluntary summer football practices. Um, and uh, anyhow, I totally am not running this, am I? I am. Good. Okay, good for you. Um, they, uh, anyhow, so we got the off-season workout. It's only like a two-and-a-half-mile run. It's not hard, okay? And, but there were these guys in the grade older than uh, my friend and I. Uh, and they were uh, not the nicest guys in the school <laughs> to say. And so you kind of would run out of the, of the back of the school. You'd run this loop that was about two miles long. And, um, and you know, and, and like kind of where the loop began, you'd circle up and get there. So this group of dudes, they would go run up into the woods. They would cheat. They'd run up into the woods and, you know, me and this pack of five guys, none of whom ever played, we would do the workout. Like, you know, we'd run the workout and they would stand there. There was this pretty brutal hill. This is this is out by uh, Liberty Park, kind of the hill that goes from like River Run up to the Dairy Queen. So it's a pretty long hill. And you'd kind of be coming up the hill and they would be standing at the top of the hill, having not done any of the running, um, but had just having cheated. And they would all collectively call you really awful names. They would say, you're such a this word or you're such a that and you're you're such a piece of this and that. And they would just taunt you and mock you for not cheating. Um, and it was every, it was like every other time 
This would be the routine. You run your workout and you're about to die going up the hill and you get to finish with the guys who are completely fresh, you know? They're completely fresh, uh, you know, calling you all these demeaning words and saying all these horrible things to you. And then they sprint on in and look like they, you know, had won the workout uh, because they're awfully fresh because they hadn't done any, done any of the running. So anyhow, we felt like, hey, we're going to do the right thing. There's a little bit of cost in doing the right thing there. Um, we see it all the time. This is a total normal pattern. If you're a person who already has a child like in ninth or 10th grade, 10th, 11th grade, um, this is totally what happens. Just prepare yourself. This is the norm. If you have a child who by Christian conviction is not going to party, they are going to most likely lose their friends uh, in the 10th grade. They are going to get shut out socially. They're not going to be invited to do anything. And maybe it's a blessing. We see this happen sometimes that they'll have a group of, you know, buddies and, you know, believers not going to, you know, going to kind of walk the straight line. But if, if, if they, a lot of times what will happen is if they don't, if they walk the straight line, they're going to be shut out socially and they're going to end up on Friday nights hanging out with mom and dad watching Netflix at home because uh, they won't get invited to do anything. So there's a cost in that. Anyhow, so with, with that being said, um, the cost will look different. I have a parent who said, you know, their child goes to a private school and if the child, um, the child has to kind of keep it on the, the, the child wanted to start an on-campus Bible study. And there was kind of this understanding, if you do that, you will not get any awards at awards day. Um, most likely, because the faculty is somewhat anti-Christian and they don't have any tolerance for, you know, Bible-believing Christians. So there would be a cost if the child decided to start a Bible study on campus, knowing that the child would probably disqualify themselves from a lot of faculty-selected offices and so on and so forth. Uh, and by the way, I mean, like, this is all high school. When, it, when we come to college, like, holy cow, it's a lot more intense than that. Um, so anyhow, uh, this is nothing like Iran, but it's still real. Uh, and so what I want to start out with here is look at biblically why is it that this is the reality. And so we'll start out here in um, purpose to explain, uh, to be able to explain biblically and theologically why there is generally a natural cost in fully surrendering to Christ. There will be cost. Okay. Um, nope, there we go. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, let's start here. We're going to start with First Peter um, chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. This is going to be kind of the primary anchor uh, passage uh, for this class. And so the context of First Peter um, is that uh, there are these people, primarily Gentiles, in Asia Minor, which is kind of like modern-day Turkey, who have become Christians. And they are, um, they are getting resisted big time. You know, they're... Uh, there's an economic economic cost. They're losing friends. They're losing family. And so Peter is writing to them to say, hey, guys, you're doing the right thing in following Jesus. Like, persevere. Stick with Jesus. And so he says to them, this is towards the end um, the end of the, of the book, and uh, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery, fiery trial when it comes upon uh, to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because of the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time, uh, for, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will be what will become 
of the ungodly and the sinners. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Okay? So basic gist here, Paul, uh, Peter is saying to, to the people in the church, like, don't be surprised when you're persecuted. Like, this is going to happen. Jesus made it clear. Uh, the Old Testament makes it clear. Like, it's going to happen. Don't be shocked. He says, uh, it's not persecution if you're a punk. Uh, and people resist you. Like he says, he says, uh, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. You know, he's like, basically, and this is something that Christians love to do, especially evangelicals. They love to be like, we're being persecuted. It's like, no, you're actually a bunch of jerks. You know, you're actually really mean. You're actually really judgmental and you're not acting very Christ-like and, uh, and you're in sin. And, uh, and so the reason people are resisting you is not because you're holy. It's because you're mean. Okay, and uh, so we, want, we don't want to confuse, you know, we all love to be a victim. That's part of being a human being. We love to be the victim. And so part of what Peter is saying here is like, it's not persecution when you're being resisted as a product of your sin and your terrible attitude. Um, he says, but if you are a person um, who is, uh, you know, who is following Christ faithfully and you're being resisted, he says, rejoice and be glad. Um, because he says, blessed are you. And so blessed, in Greek, this basically means, uh, this is kind of the Greek equivalent of the word shalom. It's an ultimate sense of well-being in your inner life. It's an ultimate sense of peace and hope and joy. And so he is saying, um, like, if you, are, if you are following Jesus to the extent that you're being resisted, um, and you remain faithful, like you, you will be blessed in your inner life, not necessarily circumstantially, because these people were not blessed circumstantially uh, in the material way we think about it, but in, in terms of having the sense of hope, peace, and joy, and comfort, uh, and experiencing the intimacy of Christ in your life, he's saying like that is a promise that you will receive. Um, and so anyhow, so that's the basic gist of what we're talking about here. So we're going to kind of go back, uh, work our way back to here, but we'll go back to the, to, uh, to the beginning. So this is Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Some would say the most significant uh, uh, passage in the entire Bible. Um, but this is after the fall. Adam and Eve have fallen, and uh, they, um, they have sinned. And so God is kind of explaining the consequences of this. He's explaining kind of a new world order. And so now God is speaking to the serpent. Uh, he says, the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all the, all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So this, this section here where it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring... So enmity is a word that means murderous hatred. It's used five times in the Old Testament. Uh, and if you look at the five different Hebrew uses of the word enmity, it means a level of hatred that you would want to kill someone. Like the word enmity is used in the passage about uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, not Adam and Eve, but uh, Cain and Abel, where uh, Cain kills Abel. And so, so basically he's saying there will be enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And so what is being established here is he's kind of explaining that there are kind of these two spiritual orders. The, the, the order that is kind of in line with the serpent. So that would be like a kingdom of darkness. Uh, and then you have a kingdom that falls out of the woman. That would be the kingdom of light, those who, are, who, are, who know and follow God. And, and then he says, you know, your offspring. So this is not just these two people. It's like all descendants. And so basically... What you see here is in the Old Testament, 
if you've ever read through like Judges or First and Second Samuel or First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you're kind of like, why is it that everyone hates the Israelites? You know, I mean, they're just this little country; they don't have a bunch of assets. But lo and behold, like for whatever reason, whether it's the Moabites or the Jebusites or the Ammonites, whoever it is, they just all want to kill the Israelites, right? It's kind of weird. It's kind of unprovoked in the end for most of the Old Testament. And, it, and it's all a reflection of this enmity, um, of this, it's, and, 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 you know, it's a, I don't mean to, uh, I'm not saying that the people who were attacking the Israelites were devil worshipers. Um, in some cases they were. But, uh, but what I'm saying is there is a spiritual, there is a spiritual dynamic going on. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, uh, the rulers, authorities, and spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. So basically, there, the, what is being established here, and what we kind of need to understand, is that like there is there is like a spiritual conflict uh, in the heavenly realms. Uh, and if you are a believer, there at the spiritual level, I mean, the kingdom of darkness, the devil wants to resist you, like wants to make you ineffective, wants to discourage you, wants you to turn your back on Jesus, wants you to question whether or not. Um, Jesus is worth it. And so, you know, a first premise I would say is that, uh, first premise is, um, you know, as you're, you know, if your child is being resisted, um, you would never want to point the finger at whoever it is who's resisting your child. Their teacher, their friend, uh, the bully, whatever. I would not, I wouldn't want to point and say, like, that person is the problem. I would want to communicate at the spiritual level, like, hey, listen, you need to know that you know there is a real uh, spiritual kingdom of darkness. There is a real devil, and he really wants to discourage you. He is not for you. He he wakes up in the morning with enmity for you, murderous hatred for you. And so, um, and I know it's kind of hard for us to we talk about things like the devil and spiritual forces and demons and things like that. It's kind of hard for us to take in. You'll hear me say this like every time I teach. But we are children of the enlightenment. We live after the Enlightenment, and so things that cannot be measurable empirically are hard for us to fathom. But it's like very, very clear, both in the Bible and it's also accepted universally in other cultures in the world, um, that there is a spiritual reality. Uh, and in this case, it's a spiritual, uh, a spiritual uh, kingdom of darkness that wants to, to resist your child. So that's, that's one of the sources and origins going on there. So that's, uh, that's kind of our an Old, Testament, um, Old Testament part. This, that's, that's Cain and Abel. Uh, I, by the way, I, I, just, I bring this up because the first story after the fall, after this, you know, talk about enmity, is the story of Cain and Abel, where uh, Cain, not faithful, kills Abel. And so you can see the enmity in very uh, clear terms. Okay, John 15, uh, 18 through 21. So we've looked at the Old Testament and some, some, some of the background there on, um, on, you know, why is there this resistance uh, if you're going to follow Jesus faithfully. Now we go to Jesus. We're going to the Gospels and look at John chapter 15. Um, so this is what Jesus says. He says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Uh, they do not know, know the one who sent me. Okay, so what we see here is it's interesting. Um, 
Jesus is very binary here. It's very much, you know, an either or kind of thing. He says, you know, you, um, you have been brought out of the world. Uh, and uh, he's not talking, he's, when he uses the world, he's talking about uh, all, all forces that are in resistance to Christ. Um, and he says, hey, if the world, um, basically, if you obey the world, if you comply with the world's standards, even if they, even if they conflict with God's standards, as seen in scripture, uh, they're going to like you. You know, they're going to be cool with you. You're not going to get any resistance. But if um, if you do things, if you have political beliefs or social beliefs or um, different actions and attitudes that um, that conflict with the world's standards, like they're going to treat you the same way they treated me. And he's saying, like, don't be surprised. Like Jesus is being really honest with them. Uh, I have a student who. Um, who uh, was uh, in a lunchroom situation talking to a friend, and the student uh, student said, "Look, I believe that the gender is binary. I believe that they're like there's male and they're female, and I believe that God made it. I don't believe that gender is fluid. Uh, that, that we kind of we determine that uh, subjectively on our own. I don't believe gender is a oppressive construct of society. I think that God made men and women." And he was called a bigot. By everyone at his table, um, and so that's one of those things where um, anyway, these are these are like ninth graders. They don't, you know, but hey, that, I wouldn't want to be called a bigot at any age, right? Much less ninth grade. Uh, and so, so with that being said, um, it's kind of one of those things where he is he is kind of saying something that conflicts with with a value of the world. Um, he is saying that out of Christian conviction, um, and I know this kid, and I don't think he would have said it as a judgmental jerk. Um, but, but he's say, basically saying like, it's not, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that you're being resisted in this way. Um, if you comply with the world, the world will affirm you. If you don't, the world will resist you in the same way that they resisted me. So there's Jesus. So we've talked Old Testament. Now we've talked Jesus and the gospels. Now we're going to go to Paul. I think Paul is most helpful uh, in this conversation. Okay. And so what Paul is basically going to say is if you're a Christian, you have been brought into union with Christ. And you are now the body of Christ, right? Like Jesus himself has gone into heaven. He has sent his Holy Spirit. And you now, in the, you know, in the flesh, obviously you're not the same as Jesus, but you function as the body of Christ. And Jesus says that himself. Paul says that, so on and so forth. And so what Paul says is the dynamic of your life as a person who's unified with Christ uh, and a person who now is functioning as the body of Christ is going to be the same as the pattern of Jesus's life. Okay, that can be pretty discouraging because Jesus's life was not super fun. Um, and you know, Jesus leaves heaven, he comes to earth, uh, he is resisted. I mean, think about this: Jesus, from the time he was a baby, a two-year-old, right? Uh, the, the Romans sent people to try to kill him as a baby. And they just said, hey, kill every baby, every baby in all of Bethlehem, every child under the age of three, slaughter, the slaughter of innocence, uh, if that's what it takes to get rid of this potential king. Okay, And so, um, so Paul says, he's gonna, and we'll see this in the text, but Paul says basically, um, don't be surprised that the pattern of your life is similar to the pattern of Jesus's life. But don't forget 
that what did Jesus enjoy? Jesus enjoyed perfect fellowship with God the Father. Jesus enjoyed more, Jesus had the most joyful life of any person who's ever lived on the earth because he was in perfect connection and communion with God the Father. Uh, and so here's what Paul says uh, in, in, in uh, Romans 6. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So th- this is, to, to put it in, in the terms of my old boss, Leo Cooper, who is from South Georgia, the grease comes with a gravy. Um, the grease comes with a gravy. So basically, like, if you're united with Christ, you will be united with him in a life and a death like his. So there, there will be difficulty, there will be suffering, but there is also a promise. And this is probably going to be the most key point, um, is the promise is you will be risen with him in a life like his. You will enjoy, by being united with Christ, you will enjoy fellowship with God the Father. Obviously not the same because we're sinners and we have flesh and Jesus was like kind of perfect. Um, but not kind of, he was perfect. <laughs> Let's get that. Let's be precise on that. Um, but, uh, but you will enjoy a similar, um, a similar joy, a similar hope and peace um, that Jesus enjoyed by being in perfect fellowship with God the Father. Uh, He goes on to say, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Live with him. So live uh, live there means, this is a um, in terms of the verbal form, it's saying that like you will continuously live and then with him in Pauline, the, Pauline writing means in union with him. Like you will be one with him. So basically, um, basically, uh, don't forget with all the cost, the great treasure, which is that you are unified with Christ. You have Jesus. And, you know, the unequivocal message of New Testament Christianity is that the greatest treasure that you can have in life is a relationship with Jesus. Like, the deepest joy that you can experience, it's nothing, there's nothing in the world, there's no success, there's no affirmation, um, there is no human relationship that can compare to the abundant life and joy that comes with knowing Christ. And so, um, so it's a really hopeful word. Um, Romans 8, Paul says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. So you see the same dynamic going on here. Um, that there is an incredible gift in Christ. You're an adopted child of God. All, all of the love, all of the affection that, that Jesus won in a perfect life from God the Father, you inherit all of that. Like you are loved perfectly by God the Father. Um, and he's saying to you, like, provided we suffer with him. Like, that's just going to be a part of the deal. Um, so, so anyhow, again, the crease comes with the gravy. So if we're going to experience, the, the more we surrender, uh, and yeah, the more we surrender our life to Jesus, the more we depend on him, um, 
the more two things are going to happen. The more we're going to experience the abundant life and joy that Jesus promises in relationship with him, and the more we're going to be resisted. And so we shouldn't be surprised by those two things. Um, so going back to Peter. Yes, sir. Provided we suffer with him, mm-hmm. would one be getting too far off translation mm-hmm. to flip that and state it as like him put up with the things things being defined as the attacks of the world? Yeah. Keep on going. Well, I, I'm just... The first time this ever popped in my mind is supper. I'm like, you know, the last thing I want to do is suffer more. Yeah, right. So could I flip it around and say, well, put up. You know, he put up with it. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's consistent with um, Hebrews chapter 12. Um, uh, it's not being... Uh, we're all but, oh, Christ, who for the joy set before him... Uh, uh, set your, set your um, eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. So let's just pull that up on the fancy internet here. Well, this goes back to what you said earlier also in that sometimes we Christians, we irritate non-Christians because we go around with, well, you know, check me out, I'm suffering. Yeah. That gets old after a while. Yeah. It does to me too. So if we flip it around, it might even be beneficial. Yeah, totally. Um, I think I think that I think what you've um, what you've captured really well, Dan, is that uh, it's kind of like there's there's in some sense a cost benefit analysis in this. You know, he put up he put up with the suffering for the joy set before him. So Hebrews twelve. Um, there was a day four children ago when I had this off the top of my head, but have four children in seven years and the mind goes. Okay. Um, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So basically, he's like you said, Jesus put up with the pain and the difficulty of being resisted of the cross for the greater joy, which was the glory of bringing many, many sons to glory, um, and and having that being exalted in heaven with the Father. Um, so yeah, that's that's really good. Um, so anyhow, so a couple things I would say here. Uh, First, kind of landing the plane, I think we have to uh, be really careful, like you said, not to get this Christian martyrdom uh, mentality. Um, part of that is just out of respect to people who are literally getting killed in places like Iran and Afghanistan and North Korea and China for being a Christian. I mean, like, to use the term persecution is almost insulting to people in those situations here particularly like in the American South and Birmingham. Um, so I, 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 just, I, I think it's very helpful for us to educate ourselves and educate our children about like what is going on in other parts of the world, like what are the costs that other people are paying, um, so we don't have too much of a pity party when, you know, the, the great... And, sorry, I need to step back here, because, hey, look, 
and you're a, if you're a teenager and you see on Instagram that all your friends are out and you're sitting at home, like that's a real thing, you know. And we never need to marginalize a kid's suffering. Like a kid's suffering is real, and that's you know, it's crushing when you you know when you're a 16, 17, 8 year old. How honestly, it's crushing when you're a 39 year old. <laughs> if you feel like right, let's keep it. Let, let, let's have a moment of keeping it real. Um, when you feel like you're being left out, okay? Um, and I do think that it, it is, uh, I think it does encourage us, and it does um, does encourage us, and it does uh, embolden us and give us perseverance to be clear on like what other people, the cost that other people are paying in other parts of the world for faithfully following Jesus. I mean, in North Korea, if you are found that, uh, to be following Jesus, you are dead. Like, Unequivocally, you are done, um, and that's real. That's 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 big stuff. That's something. There was probably shouldn't say this. There was a squabble once at a, a meeting here, and people were arguing about parking competition between an event that was going to be here um, at the at the church at a certain time on a certain day. And well, these people always take the parking, but those people take the parking, and da 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 da. And you know, well, no one's going to come to our thing because they got the parking. And I in a not very wise or diplomatic way, said, I think that we should call the people in the church in Iran and tell them about this great difficulty that we're facing, and we should ask them to pray for us, right? Pray for this parking situation. God forbid that we have to pay the price of walking an extra block in downtown Birmingham, you know, uh, to, go to, a, to go to an event at our church um, where, you know, we're not, we're not worrying about someone coming in with an AK-47 um, and taking us off to jail. Um, so I think one thing, it is helpful for us to like educate our kids uh, and for us to be educated about what prices that people are paying in the world today and prices that people have paid throughout church history, you know, martyrs and so on and so forth. Um, uh, so I think that's, that's a first thing. Um, a second thing I would say is I think we also need to examine ourselves and encourage our kids to examine um, the way that we are our attitude towards others, our tone towards others, and make sure that we're not being resisted because we're just being a punk, you know? That we're not being resisted because we're the loudest, most obnoxious person on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Um, and so I think the second thing we need to do is examine, like, hmm, where am I bringing some of this on, on my own? Kind of hard for teenagers, uh, in particular, because that's, a, that's an age of life where self-awareness is a little more of a challenge. Um, but I think second thing we need to do is um, uh, is we kind of need to examine ourselves. Next thing I would say is I think we need to be really honest with kids uh, about the price of following Jesus. Uh, I, I, part of the reason I'm teaching this class is because I feel like we've not really done that well enough. Uh, we've talked about the promises of all the life in Christ, um, but not necessarily kind of been up front as much to say, like, there is going to be a price to pay. Uh, or there, not, 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 that, that sounds a little hard-handed, heavy-handed. I would say that there will be natural consequences. Like there will be natural costs. Um, the, you know, different ways, different things that you will lose uh, in, in, in order to follow Christ. So that way they're not surprised. Because what I see happening is a lot of kids, I think they feel like abandoned by God. Or they're like, wait a minute, like I'm trying to do the right thing here. And, uh, and, and like, geez, I feel like, you know, my my life in different ways is kind of in disarray, especially my social life, which that's developmentally speaking, when you're you know 12 to 18 in particular, is so huge, and so it's your whole world, you know, your friend groups and how you're accepted into friends, uh, friendships and so on and so forth. So I think that um, we just need to be honest 
Because Jesus is very, very honest. Like, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He says it over and over again to, to the disciples. Like, hey guys, like, this is not, this is not the, the pathway to upper mobility following me. Like, this is, this is a pathway to getting yourself killed. And, and like, they all did, except for John. Um, so, so anyhow, so I think we need to be honest. And the last thing, though, is I don't think we need to shortchange the promise. Like, the, the, you know, we talk about the grease coming with the gravy. Uh, I think we need to be honest to say, like, hey, we always need to make clear to our kids, and, and this really starts with ourselves, we always need to make clear to our kids that the ultimate thing they can have in life is Jesus. Like, the ultimate joy, the ultimate satisfaction uh, is a, a close, intimate, dependent relationship with Christ. Like, that is, as, that is very much what Jesus says about where you find ultimate satisfaction. One of the things we'll say over and over again to our kids, one of our four big messages is, You'll never be satisfied in life until you're satisfied with Christ. Like, Christ is the only thing that will satisfy you. And so they need to, to know that, like Dan said, that the risk-reward is worth it. Uh, the, the things that it will cost you are, worth, um, are, are much less than what you gain in Christ. And, um, and I think the best way for us to do that is for us to, like, drink that water ourselves, you know? I mean, uh, um, our kids can pick up on what we as parents, what we, what our idols are, you know, the things that we talk about, the things of like, oh, if we only had this, or if I can only do this, they can, they can see that. But for ourselves, the best thing we can do for our kids is find our own deepest satisfaction in Christ. Um, if you're looking for a book on that, the book Desiring God uh, by John Piper, and uh, you don't have to read the whole thing. It's a good, the first 120 word, 120 pages will knock it out for you. Um, but yeah, it's a great book on that. But I would say we, we don't just need to, to preach it. We need to, to walk it too. Um, so anyhow, that's all I got. Anybody have any, uh, any questions? I think I actually finally have finished on time. Yes, three minutes. Yes. So last week, um, I think his name was Collins. Yeah, yeah, right. And he kind of threw out this concept and it was, he didn't unpack it. He kind of packed it a little bit towards the end. But he was talking about how people today, especially our children especially, I think, the older you get, the more experiences you have. They're, why is this happening to me? Mm. Like, I'm a good person. Good things could happen to me. Mm. And so, generations ago, he's saying this is a learned behavior. I was thinking it was like a human condition, kind of like sin, that we're born that way, thinking we're entitled. Yeah. And so you kind of work on it with your kids. He's saying like five generations ago, people just, bad things happen, and you went through life. The American saying, Bad things just happen. He he ended up kind of ra- kind of coming around and saying, yeah. "Why? That's because of medical advancement." Totally true. Hundred percent. Generations ago, yeah. People lost siblings. They lost yeah. Children. Totally. Just and now we're like, we've got the medicine. You can beat that mm-hmm. cancer. You can beat that diagnosis. Yeah. You also have a lot more technology. Yep. Anyway, I guess I would ask, what are some ways to help our children not feel that entitlement of like deserving? Good, good things, successes, worldly successes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Hey, and one other thing on this too, just to to add on to what Colin said. Think about this. Like, uh, you know, it wasn't. It's not until the last hundred years that like you would pay someone to deal with a dead body after someone died. You know, have you ever thought about how foreign that idea is in most most places in the world today? That when someone dies, you pay someone to come and take care of all that. Whereas in most situations in the world today and throughout you know history, pre you know pre the 20th century, like you as a family had to deal with the dead body of someone in your family who died. Like you had to prepare them, you had to bury them, so on and so forth. And so, yeah, like the hardness of life, you know, I, I think uh, I think both of my 
great-grandparents had a child who died. Uh, and that was just like kind of the norm. Like, I mean, uh, it was just very common for people to know that they just didn't have that much control in life. So yeah, totally, totally true. Um, I think one thing that's helpful uh, is to get our kids out of suburban utopia and uh, to like go serve at a soup kitchen. Um, to go to like the Thursday morning service in the in the um, in the summer, where uh, you know a pretty large portion of the people who go to that that service are either very poor or homeless. Um, yeah, uh, if um, and, and we're trying to afford more opportunities to do this, but like going on a, a mission trip to the third world, I think that that uh, is just very it was very helpful for me personally, but I think it's very helpful for our kids just to see like this is like life is hard, you know and. There is just a lot of inherent suffering. I think that uh, this condition that you were talking about, a fair amount of that is confined to kind of suburbia, uh, where we do, you know, like we can fix things with with money, technology, so on and so forth. We have a false sense of control, and we're pretty insulated, like from the difficulties of the world. So I think that's one thing we can practically do uh, to, yeah, to work on that. Anyone else? Yes, sir. So just. Mm. Yeah. But I mean, to speak, you know, I feel like in America, like we deal with things that are a lot harder to deal with. So in Iran, like it's pretty straightforward. Right? Yeah, it's very clear. We, if we don't stick together, they'll kill us. Yeah. But in America, when you talked about the kid, I mean, basically they're saying, um, if you think this, you are a persecutor, you are. Yeah. A and like yesterday, I was watching Sophia the First. Not really watching. Hey! Do 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 I know the song. No hate. Wasilia, right? And they're talking about this holiday, Wasilia and presents. And I'm just, and I stop and I watch it, and it's like it's like Christmas, but they don't call it Christmas. Uh-huh. And I thought, man, that is insidious. Like hmm. they don't have the courage to put Christmas on there, or maybe. They're demonic and they're like marginalizing Christmas. Christmas is a fairy tale, just like this fairy tale. You know, maybe they're saying. Yeah. Fairy tales. Sure. How do you really? So I'm trying to tell my kids we're not watching this anymore because. You know, I couldn't explain it. Yeah. I knew it was wrong. You're right. That's much more difficult to deal with. I think it's a really good point because it's a lot more. It's a lot more subtle. And they trot that kid off. You know, he was alone. Everybody else said he was a bigot. He didn't have a, a Christian brother or sister to, mm-hmm. you know, be there with him. Yeah. Not just to fight back, but just to be there. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, right on. You're right. I mean, it, it is a lot more subtle, and it does take more noticing. I think that's probably, it puts more on the church and on parents, like us together, to, like, do a good job of kind of, like, uh, engaging our kids and, like, talking our kids through these different situations. Um Maybe on the same page as we are. Sure. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. I think I need to let y'all go. Yeah, I do. Sorry, my bad. But hey, good questions and thanks for the comment. Um, all right, dear Lord, uh, we should pray. Uh, we thank you so much that you suffered for us, Lord, and you resisted in every way. And, and when you did it, you had each one of us 
uh, in your heart and on your mind, and it was and and you were filled with love as you thought about that. So, Lord, um, may may the cost of of our salvation that you endured, may it um, may that Lord embolden us and give us wisdom, God. Let us not be afraid. Um, you're uh, ultimately our our children's parent, and you're ultimately in control. You've defeated sin and death, and you are the King of the world. And uh, may we take comfort in that and not freak out. Uh, and just, Lord, give us the grace and the wisdom uh, to faithfully um, and humbly uh, lead, encourage, educate our kids. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.